you know you don't start off with somebody and say hey can you do this if you don't know anything but you can ask for something small you can ask for advice you can, you can follow through with advice you can ask for a small favor like an introduction and then if you don't disappoint that person if you make them feel good about that then i think they help you further and i've had you know quite a lot of relationships like that Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fresh Start Podcast, a show where we share success principles, explore the stories, experiences, and journey of real people in order to provide newcomers with strategies to succeed. My name is David Ojenka. On today's episode, I'll be talking to Gaurav Upadhyay, who is a newly appointed board member of Amex Bank of Canada and the Global Chief Actuary and Chief Risk Officer at Forrester's Financial. On today's episode, Gaurav shared how to find the right mentors, how to nurture professional relationships, strategies to climb the corporate ladder as a visible minority, and much more. Please help me in welcoming Gaurav Upadhyay. Thank you so much, Gara, for joining me on the show today. I'm really, really excited about our conversation. Thank you for the opportunity and thank you for giving um, your time to impact other people's lives. Thank you, David. I, you know, this is a great opportunity. I'm, I'm very excited um, by, you know, the topics uh, that you've covered in your, uh, in, your, in your podcast. I've listened to a number of them and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very, feel very fortunate to be able to uh, join you today. Thank you. Thank you. So in the course of this conversation, we'll be covering, um, you know, your your early days as as uh, an immigrant um, in Canada, your career journey. Um, what's your what's your thoughts are around immigrants in Canada and your advice to to immigrants in Canada? So we'll be covering a lot in the course of this conversation. And for the sake of time, let's just dive right into the conversation. Um, can you walk us through your experience growing up as a child of immigrant parents in Canada? Yeah, certainly, David. Um, you know, I'll take you back a little bit, even from before, um, you know, and give you a bit of background because maybe it'll be helpful um, to the listeners and yourself to get get more context about about myself. So I was born, uh, you know, about fifty one years ago, I guess, in India, um, and my parents, um, you know, I was lucky to have. Uh, you know, a couple of great loving and, uh, and, and, you know, in their own way, they were quite privileged growing up, you know, they, they came from families that uh, my father was, uh, his father was an engineer, he himself got a chance to go to Scotland and, and get an engineering degree as the two of his brothers. Um, my mother um, was, you know, went to a, some convent school or something. I mean, she was, she, she wasn't Christian, but, you know, she learned English fluently she loved reading so she was you know very well read and and uh, her father was a deputy minister although interestingly both of her parents were orphans and you know had had in their own way sort of risen up um but they were well um you know my family was fairly well connected and my father came back from scotland he had some british experience some experience in germany and they got married you know they had an arranged marriage they got married I had kids fairly young, um, so I have an older brother, myself, um, and then at the age of three, uh, you know, one of the things that's quite 
uh, you know, pivotal in my life was that I got polio. So, I got, you know, I did get vaccinated, uh, but the vaccine didn't work. So it's a bit unusual because um, there aren't many people of my age who, who, because of the vaccine, had been around for, I think, well over a decade. Um, so it was a bit of a surprise, but my father was a mining engineer, as I said, and so they lived out in the out in the boonies where the mines are, and um, and the vaccine didn't work. So you know, um, you know, I was I was pre, and that really you know shifted. And and as I got as I had kids there, you know, I've reflected on how you know challenging that must have been, especially you know my mom. I think would have been, I don't know, like twenty, uh, you know, maybe 28, 27. Um, at the time, and my father, who's maybe about seven, eight years older, um, you know, very focused in his career and stuff, but also to have a child, you know, who had polio. And uh, the result of that was um, um, that I, you know, grew up sort of walking with crutches and uh, leg braces, you know, so, um, and in fact, for probably for, I don't know exactly the timeline, maybe maybe for a year or so, there was just not a lot, you know, there was a lot of pain and just not, um, being able to actually be mobile. And uh, one of the things that a kind of a story that I kind of grew up with, it was really pivotal to me. And so I'll share it was that the doctors told my mom and my parents that I wouldn't be able to walk. They said, basically, you know, it's just, and you'll just be, you know, have to take care of him, but he'll be. Uh, but they also told my mom that, you know, there could be some improvement, but there was only a, a, like six months or something where, you know, after that, the, the muscles were atrophied uh, and there won't be any more progress. And she's like, okay, so I've got six months to make as much progress. And they said, yep. And so she was a very kind of determined woman and she kind of um, set about creating a regime, you know, with herself and some help, you know, uh, um, she had some helpers and they basically, as I understood it, did like six to eight hours of exercise with me, you know, every day, you know, and just to kind of get any kind of movement into my legs and my my body as, as it could. And, you know, the upshot of it was um, I was able to walk, you know, I mean, again, with crutches and and leg braces. But, you know, as I realized later, when occasionally I've been in wheelchairs and stuff, there's a world of difference between whether you can walk or climb up and down stairs. Mm -hmm. And if you can't, you know, um, mm -hmm. so as much as I have, you know, mobility issues, um, but the fact that I can climb up and down stairs, the fact that I can, um, you know, I, I can, you know, be fairly mobile made a ton of difference and this the early story for me was that i could um you know overcome challenges like if through hard work mm -hmm. and focus and drive you know with the help of other people i could get there and that's been like one of the the things that i think has driven me through much of my life mm -hmm. um now i'll fast forward a little bit uh, um you know um my parents then did leave india when it was about seven eight um, my, you know, they did think it was better for me to be outside India than inside India, um, just because there'd be more opportunities. Um, and uh, so they, they moved to Africa. My father mm -hmm. was a senior mining engineer in Zambia. So that was, that was really cool. I got a chance to, um, that's when I learned English and I uh, had a bunch of British teachers. And then at the age of 10, my father could send his kids abroad. And uh, so my, my brother went abroad first and then I went. Um, uh, although not to the same school, and um, and so at the age of ten, even with my crutches and disabilities and stuff, I, you know, would fly up to England back and forth um, to uh, go to boarding school, and did that for a couple of years. And my parents were like, uh, they didn't really like it. They didn't really like the fact that we're as a family were quite separated. 
Mm-hmm. And, want, and my father got a chance to go to Australia or Canada. He had, he had a lot of points. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the immigration points, I guess. And he, he was allowed, but he knew nobody in Canada. He didn't know even Australia either. But he just, uh, uh, they decided they would make the leap. Uh, I think he looked at the map, saw the Winnipeg looked somewhere like in the middle of the country. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he had no idea. I mean, this is, you know, back in 1982, there was no internet. There's no kind of like, you know, scoping things down on Wikipedia or checking out Google Earth. It was just like, basically got off a plane and just, Asked the cab driver to take us to a motel, you know, <laughs> and that was how, you know, we, we we came and landed. And you know, the really unfortunate thing for him was that he um, he he was told before he sent letters and stuff, and people had said, of course, he was a very, you know, he used to actually run two diamond mines in India before he left India. He was very successful. He was one of the youngest general managers. I think in his mid thirties, late thirties, he became the general manager of two diamond mines. Um, then he was a senior engineer, like I said, in in, in one of the deepest copper mines in Africa. He had all these this education and experience in Europe. He was never able to work as an engineer in Canada. He basically got caught in the classic trap of um, came to Canada and was told um, he couldn't be a professional engineer without a Canadian professional engineer, even though he was a professional engineer in the UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, uh, you know, he had that. He couldn't get that designation in Canada without um, Canadian experience, and he couldn't. Basically, company said, "Well." Uh, the ones you're qualified for, you should, you need a PNG and you don't have a PNG and you just got caught in this sort of classic Canadian trap, you know, if, um, you end up running, um, like a lot of immigrants, you end up running a convenience store later on, he owned a gas station and, um, uh, you know, stuff like that. He just basically worked all the time. You know, I think for like six years, he didn't take any time off except for like, I think he came out one time to see me at Queens when I graduated and. Christmas Day or something, you know. But he, you know, he just um, he had a great drive, but uh, but it was a bit sad, you know, that because he saw himself always as an engineer and and uh, and he couldn't practice. But it worked out well for me, you know. I came to Canada, and uh, um, you know, having come come with from Britain, where I learned English, I'd done quite well. I was a quick learner. I passed, you know, English exams pretty early um i had a british accent which i think is helpful you know when i came to uh, i know some people like all accents i'm like no people look down on other accents people actually you know give you a sense of you know mystique and and uh and and, and benefit and, and in a sense i had the british accent i uh i had been to a british boarding school so i i learned how to be self-reliant and um, you know i did quite well uh through my you know adjusting um um, I mean, one one other pivotal point I would say to you, um, David, is that uh, so I came to Canada when I was twelve, and soon after um, I had to have a spinal uh, uh, surgery. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had to fuse my spine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I came in the summer, and then right around my birthday, so around November, all through November, December, I was in hospital because they did they fused my spine. Um, because they said it was collapsing and the word that um, they, they needed to kind of stabilize it. Mm-hmm. And so that was a, you know, so for that, I was stuck in hospital for, I think, six weeks, maybe eight. I'm not sure. And uh, a lot of it was, there was this kind of traction bed where I was basically lying on my front for six hours. Then they'd flip me over and then lie on my back for six hours. And you really couldn't do anything except just think, you know. And so I had a lot of time to contemplate my life. Mm-hmm. And, um 
and I just come to the new country. Um, I, so I made a bit of a decision. I, I always remember that after, and one time I even pulled out my grades and stuff just to see whether I was I had a you know work memory or it was real, you know. Um, mm-hmm. If you looked at my grades before that, you know, I'd get A's in some things and C's in some things, depending if I liked the teacher or wanted to do work. I, you know, I was very spotty. After that, um, it, you know, almost all my marks went to be A's, you know, and I got the highest marks in high school, junior high and high school. And that was because I made a decision when I was in the hospital that I would um, stop sort of wasting my time. Like, I, I you know, I, I said to myself, I'm going to be in school. I should do well. And if I want to be independent and I don't want to be taken care of by other people, um, you know, I need to take control of what mm-hmm. I can. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was, you know, the path forward would be to do as well as I could academically, um, try and, you know, get some kind of a profession and then sort of be independent. And in that decision, when I was in hospital, I think helped drive me forward, you know, for pretty much my whole life. Like mm-hmm. I had set that goal from that point on. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so I would say, yeah, it was, it was, it was, uh, you know, I made quite a few decisions. I'm, you know, after my junior high, we were in, I was we were in a kind of poor part of town because that's where my parents bought a house. Um, you know, um, I made some friends. We were, you know, it was good. But then I had a chance to go into the international baccalaureate program in another part of the city. And none of my friends want to go. They're like, we're not going to this program. This is, sounds very hard. It's over there. Why would we go? And I'm like, but I, I looked at it and I said, well, it's got really high standards. It's a chance to go to, you know, a really um, uh, a prestigious kind of program, the International Baccalaureate, but it's in a public school, so it wouldn't cost my parents anything. Hmm. I'll do it, you know, so I was the only one who went there, um, but it was great. I, I learned a lot. I met a lot of great friends. I still have a lot of friends from high school. Um, and, uh, you know, um, and, then, and then later on, I went on to Queens. Um, you know, because again, it was a chance to uh, go to a different place. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I that's a bit of my story of how, you know where I grew up and and how I immigrated into Canada and sort of fit into the society here. Wow, thank you so much for that detailed um, story. That story, I would say. Um, but but let's talk. You 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 spoke about some very interesting things. You mentioned about you know how you grew up with crutches and leg braces and how you also went through a surgery, a life-changing surgery, I would call it, because that was the moment you decided that I'm not going to let my situation restrict me. I don't want to depend on other people. And you picked yourself up. Amazing, amazing story. And, you know, it's heartbreaking to also hear that, you know, the things your, your, your parents had to go through as internationally trained professional coming to Canada. You, you, you spoke about how you got into a, an international bachelorate uh, program and then you chose Queen's University. What informed your choice of program? And also what started your interest in a career in actuarial science? Yeah, thanks, David. So I really like math quite a bit, um, and I like sciences. And up to about grade, until the end of grade 11, I probably thought I was going to go into physics or math or mm-hmm. something a bit more academic. Then, And I can't really say exactly why, but somewhere around there I decided maybe I didn't like research that much, and I wanted to get into something that was more kind of like a professional business kind of orientation. And I heard from some teachers, and 
my mom, uh, who, you know, uh, you know, she also was a very learned person. She, she'd, um, she had a degree in fine arts and economics in, from India, and then she went and did a master's in education. Mm-hmm. Then she, and then when she came to Canada, she couldn't, she couldn't, she couldn't do her thing either. She, she, they, she found out she couldn't teach economics in high school because there was no economics in high school, and she, they, you know, she wasn't qualified to teach in in other grades uh, in Canada, even though she had an MA from uh, from from Wales. Um, so she went and did a degree in uh, accounting and uh, computer science. Oddly enough, <laughs> and uh, she started working at Great West Life, which is a life insurance company, a big life insurance company in Winnipeg. And so she was working there in uh, computers, um, and she had heard about actuaries. So she so said to me, "Hey, that's a profession that seems to combine math and business," and that that had a lot of appeal to me. Um, but I wasn't sure initially whether I wanted to fully commit to it. And I got into Queen's business and I thought that would be good. And um, to be honest, I, you know, I like trying the idea of being independent and moving. And my parents again were, especially my mom was very supportive. My father probably would have, he would have been happy if I stayed home and he took care of me. He's a very loving kind of caring guy, you know, and he, um, but my mom always thought, you know, I should, if I want to be independent, you know, I she would support. And my brother was really good, actually. He drove me all the way out to Queens that summer so I could see it. Um, you know, that's like a 24-hour drive, you know, mm-hmm. and, and we came out so I could see it. So he's also been super supportive my whole life. And um, so, yeah, I just thought, hey, that would be a good adventure. I went to Queens. I took all my options in math. So every year I actually took, um, I actually took more, more courses. I think all the years, I think every term, except for my very last one, I took an extra course. So instead of five courses, I would take six. I would just, I just took a lot of extra. So I took, a, I took a regular bachelor of commerce, and then I mm-hmm. took all my options in math, and I took some extra options, and then I took some extra courses too in math. So that way, I could be, you know, uh, I could do both. Hmm. Wow, that's interesting. That's it's it's interesting the um, impact parents can have on a child. Look at how that's one conversation you had with your mom and you, she, she told you about how you can combine, you know, the business side of things and mathematics, your love for mathematics together and um, get, you know, a career out of that. So right after, because I saw that you, you didn't do your master's right after you graduated from Queens, you worked a little bit, then you went to do your master's at Waterloo. Um, so tell me more about how was it like, getting a job um, right after university in insurance and then what's confirmed your decision to go back to do your master's and why did you choose that program for your master's? Um, actually, actually, in the sequencing, um, I actually did go straight after to, to Waterloo. I think what you may have picked up on is that I did, I was fortunate because my mom circulated my resume. I did end up working in Greywest Life for two summers. Oh, okay. And I, and I did another summer there in, in asset liability management uh, in actual. So I was really fortunate to get that role. The year before, I had worked at the Canadian National Institute for the Blind in the, in the summer, which was also really interesting. Kind of really, you know, kind of um, you know, gave me a lot more understanding of blind people and you know how much they can do. So that was really that was my first summer job, and then I did at, at Grey West. Um, but I actually went straight uh, when I graduated in 91, I went straight into uh, my master's. Um, 
Yeah, it was kind of funny. I, I thought about it and I just decided, but it was, it was, it was funny because I did end up getting the gold medal at Queens and because I had very high marks, yeah. I remember uh, I got contacted by a management consulting company, this McKinsey, and they called me and they said, well, why didn't you apply to us? And I was like, well, I'm going to go do a master's and they're like, come and talk to us and stuff. But I was pretty set by the, by great, by the fourth year. And um, anyway, it's a bit of a, I, I won't get into it, but I just, I, I talked to an ac academic once who said, hey, listen, if you want, finish your bachelor's, then just do a master's if you want. And I didn't really need to do my master's at Waterloo, but I, I thought it would be, it, I just had in my mind, you know, uh, was, you know, I went and did it. And, and uh, I'm not sure I really needed it, but uh, the, the one really upside of it is I met my wife there. And so, uh, so you know, that was that was definitely the best thing that that I got out of. Uh, I, I mean, I I did I did learn a lot and stuff, but definitely I would say um, the best thing I got out of doing the masters was that. Uh, I mean, I didn't meet her right when I was on campus, but she was doing a masters in fine arts um, a couple of years later, and I had a lot of friends still in the same place where I stayed when I did my masters. So I I just did it for a year. Um, it took me another year to finish it, but I actually was, I started working at two at insurance company in, in Waterloo. Um, I worked really hard. It was a tough time to get a job, but, um, you know, I, I made a bet on myself with the academics and I did kind of work through, you know, um, like I had a res, I, I wanted to make sure I had a resume that people couldn't quite ignore, you know, like they mm. could, um, they, you know, I, I had worked really hard to make sure when I applied, I had three summer jobs at, at a life insurance company. So, you know, I had, I had a gold medal from Queens and I had a master's in math from Waterloo. So when I applied, now having said that, there were still some people, it was a tough time. 91, 92 was a bit of a recession. And, uh, but I did manage, I had a job offer from Great West. They, they'd offer, they were really good to me. They'd give me an offer early. Um, but I wasn't sure I want to go back to Winnipeg. I felt it would be a bit regressive to go back home. <laughs> or to, I don't know. I just, I, 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 like I said, my whole, my whole goal in life has been to try and be independent. I felt uh, I wanted to keep going. Um, I had, I'd managed to get a couple of job offers in Toronto mm -hmm. and I got one in Waterloo and mm -hmm. Waterloo seemed like a good, I had some friends in town and it was good. Uh, I still bug one guy, I ran into him every so often, but he was, um, later on I moved to Manulife and he used to be at Manulife and he was the guy who interviewed me and he never gave me a second interview. He gave me the momentum because he was really nice to me. He was like, he said, you know, we're only hiring two people. We've got them coming back from co-op. Uh, but he said, you know, he was very encouraging, you know, to like, which is something, you know, I, I've always tried to remember that sometimes even if you can't um, give a job to somebody that you see is good, it's good mm -hmm. to be encouraged, you know, it's, um, so I was lucky. Yeah, I, I would say that, but I, but I, I wasn't taking chances, you know what I mean? Like I, I, it's just the way I try to do things, you know, I, I just didn't want them to uh, have an easy out, you know, if they mm -hmm. didn't want to give me a job, you know, I, I want to go in there with, with, with as much strength as I could. You, you said something um, while you were speaking earlier. You said that you wanted to make sure that you have a resume people would not be able to ignore. Also, in one of your interviews, your classmates spoke about your academic prowess at the university. Um, and you also you alluded to it, to how you got the gold award. So would you say that being book smart is good enough to succeed in corporate Canada? Hmm. No, I, I don't think book smart in a sense is, but I think you've got to figure out what's your, you know, what's your story and you've got to have some way of trying to show people. Uh, I think that you can, um, 
and and show yourself. I mean, I think there's a few things I got from from focusing hard on studies. One is, um, I got confidence, you know. But you know, like it's, you know, um, you know, it 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 helped me understand for myself that if I set a goal, I can achieve it. You know, mm -hmm. if you set a goal, you know, it doesn't have to be in that right. Like I. I you know, one guy took a chance on once his marks weren't that great. I remember they were like in the 60s or something, or maybe some in the 70s. But he came out of the physics program at Queens. I knew it was a tough program. But then when I talked to him, you know, he'd also done all these other things, you know, rowing and creating his own company and all this stuff. And so even though he wanted to be an actuary, you know, I remember talking to some people and said, you know, we should take a chance in this guy, you know, because mm -hmm. he's done a whole bunch of other stuff, you know. Um, so I don't think book smart in itself is, but you know, if if to get there, you know, you've got great skills of learning new things, having confidence in yourself, um, you know, those things are are very translatable. And I think I did learn uh, some of that. I think it is good to have something that you can kind of distinct, make yourself distinct from the crowd. Mm -hmm. So again, like if academics is not your thing, I think that's okay, you know. But figure out some other ways in which you can show people that, you know, you can apply yourself. You're good at learning, you know, mm -hmm. new skills that that you have focus, you have drive, mm -hmm. um, and you have some expertise. You know, uh, maybe you know, and and uh, and then if you have confidence from all that stuff, and you can kind of convince them, then give you a chance. And then once you're in your job, to be honest, I don't think anybody really cares that much about your marks or, you know, where you went to school or anything, right? Like, mm -hmm. really, it's. It's just that really it, it helps get you through that door and mm -hmm. it helps hopefully give you some skills mm -hmm. um, and gives you uh, the confidence. But after that, you know, it, it's really what you do on the job, right? That, that I think drives a lot of um, your success and, and maybe the relationships you build. And we, we can talk about that a bit further too. Fantastic. Thank you so much for explaining that. Um, so now let's go further down. Um, in another um, interview that you had, you emphasized on building networks and relationships um, can get you the help and support you need. Um, I, I'm curious, I would love to learn more about how did you find those important relationships? How did you nurture those relationships? And how did you find mentors who were willing to support you as you grow in your career? Right. Um, well, those are really good questions because I do, I do believe, you know, one of my biggest things that I learned over my career and, you know, may, maybe for me just starting out, like you say, with my disabilities and right from the beginning is I've always had this sense that, you know, sometimes you need help and mm -hmm. it's okay to ask for help. Mm -hmm. um, on the flip side, also, sometimes you can give help, you know, no matter who or where you are, you can help others, you know, and and then you should try and offer help. Mm -hmm. um, but asking for help, and um, there's nothing wrong with it. And I think in many ways, uh, it can make, you know, other people feel good. And, mm -hmm. you know, one of the, actually, one of the things I'll share with you, I, I, I read in a, in a in a book once, I, I read a really good book called Give and Take, I think it was in that book. I have it, but, I have uh, the book. Yeah, by Adam Grant, yeah, fantastic yes. book, okay? Amazing book, okay. yeah. And, uh, uh, I, I gave it to my kids too. I bought copies for them. Uh, but it's, uh, I think it's in there that he mentions that, you know, sometimes if you ask somebody for advice, for example, uh, or uh, ask them for help, mm -hmm. uh, even, you know, more, more than just advice, um, the fact that they do something for you, something small, 
uh, actually makes them, you know, people think sometimes, well, I, I should do help somebody else first and that will build a relationship. But actually, if you ask somebody for help and they help you, it actually mm-hmm. is a stronger way to build a relationship because when they help you, they actually have to make a decision. Like they have to make a decision. Should I help this person? Mm-hmm. And if mm-hmm. they stay in, in that force, they have to make a decision. Are you worthy of me helping you? Mm-hmm. And if they, if they do help you, then in their minds, they've now shifted you from being a neutral person to being a kind of person that they, that's worth them helping. Mm-hmm. And because mm-hmm. of that, you've shifted yourself in the mindset. Now, I give you a bit of that background because I think often what, you know, um, I'm not sure I necessarily ask people for help all the time or anything, but I, I just, um, I think I, 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 go, I go about a few things to build relationships, I would say. One is, um, I do like talking to people. I don't, and I don't like talking about, you know, that much about sports and I don't even follow news and stuff that much, but I do really like hearing people's stories mm-hmm. and I'm pretty open with my own stories mm-hmm. and that openness and desire to learn. Um, I would say even things like, um, you know, I didn't have kids, sorry, I didn't have many, um, family around. So when I had kids, um, I would talk to a lot of people about how they raised their kids, you know, mm-hmm. I, I just, because I think you learn from other people, you know, mm-hmm. uh, very curious about all sorts of stuff. So I like to hear, hear people's stories and people open up. And um, I mean, I would say um, I build a lot of strong relationships with women, uh, women leaders. You know, my first three bosses were women. Some mm-hmm. of my mentors and people who really helped me along were women. And I think a lot of that was because I, I really genuinely enjoyed talking to them about how to, how to raise families and take care of houses and stuff like that, because mm-hmm. it, it helped me, you know. Um, so there's the work part of it, but there's also who you are as a person. And mm-hmm. I think if people love you and understand who you are and your values, mm-hmm. um, then beyond that, of course, there's a work stuff, right? There's, mm-hmm. you know, when I uh, like got an assignment, I would try really hard to think beyond just what it is. Mm-hmm. Like I try to think a lot about what is this person really trying to achieve? Mm-hmm. And then I'm, I'm willing to go above and beyond to help them get there. You know, mm-hmm. um, I remember when I was a, an actuary, maybe three or f- three years, uh, I was running this pricing team and I was, I was lucky. They give me quite a lot of responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And then we got this case. It was a really big case. It was the biggest case. The premium was about a million dollars for the life insurance policy per year. Mm-hmm. That was a, for our small, for our company, that was really big. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very highly confidential and big. And I did everything for that. I did, I did the pricing and it was very confidential. They didn't want a lot of people involved. So, you know, I was, and I was the, the most junior person in the team. There was like the head of the division, the head of my department. There was a chief underwriter um, and one of the pricing, you know, leader and then and myself. So mm-hmm. I was like the guy who did all the programming and analysis uh and uh, i did all that but then i i went all the way i i print you know i printed out the illustrations i you know i i did everything by hand and make sure everything went you know perfectly to the end you know so i i built a reputation that kind of meant that others would hear a bit about me and mm-hmm. then um and then when i got a chance to really um deepen that relationship i i think that's when i think it really comes through so I'll use another example. Um, when I came over to Manulife, I met in the interview process. Um, they wanted me to come over and uh, I, I talked to a few senior people. Mm-hmm. One particular chap I connected with fairly well. Um, 
two, and I mentioned that I wanted to go into investments. I went and did my CFA. And then he contacted me. Uh, I was just about to go to investments and this guy contacted me and goes, you know, I've got another job. I think you'd like, you know, you should come up, come and talk to me. I said, okay. So I went over and talked to him and, he's, and he gave me some, you know, really good advice and he, he understood me. I said, okay, I'll give up that other opportunity. I'll come to you. This is in, internally inside the company. So I went to that. Uh, but then by the time I got there, he moved on to another job. And, but then, you know, I listened to his advice. I followed it. And I think because of that, like over my career, I think he gave me like four different positions, including making me a VP and all this stuff where not almost never worked for him, but he, he and I forged this relationship where he, he, you know, he trusts me with different projects or mm-hmm. he yeah. get me into things. And I think, uh, I didn't disappoint him. And even now, you know, I reach out to him and, uh, you know, we have dinner once in a while and he's a senior person at a, at a major reinsurance company, but it was a relationship starts small. And then I think if you help that person out or they give you advice and you follow through on it mm-hmm. and you don't disappoint them, then I think it just keeps layering on. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think it's hard when sometimes, sometimes people come to me, I never even met them and they're like, can you recommend me for a job or something? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, uh, no, <laughs> you know, I don't know who you are. How can I yeah. recommend you for it? Mm-hmm. But I can, but what I can do for you is I can, I can open one door. I'll give mm-hmm. you a small opening mm-hmm. and let's see where that goes, you know? Mm-hmm. And then if, you know, and that could be the start of relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, they don't start off, you know, you don't start off with somebody and say, hey, can you do this if you don't know anything? But you can ask for something small. You can mm-hmm. ask for advice. Mm-hmm. Then you can follow through with advice. You can ask for a small favor, like an introduction. And then if you don't disappoint that person, if you make them feel good about that, then I think they help you further. And I've had, you know, quite a lot of relationships like that. That's impressive. In the last few minutes, you spoke about how building and fostering quality relationships have helped you. You also mentioned about the importance of doing quality work. However, I'm sure there are still more strategies that have helped you in your career. What are some of the other strategies that you've used to climb the corporate ladder in Canada as a visible minority? So one of the big things, um, I think what I've done early in my career was I, I did take opportunities to kind of get involved in stuff outside, you know, whatever, what was my core job, you know, mm-hmm. or like opportunity to move around. Like one of the things I, I was lucky now, sometimes you have to leave companies. I, I really like the fact that I, I spent almost 19 years at Manning Life. And before that I was, uh, I was, I was another five years, another company and, and, uh, since then, I worked at PwC, and now I've worked at um, Forrester's Financial for the last three years. But I've done maybe like thirteen, you know, I was counting maybe thirteen different jobs. And I, I, I think you know, especially early on, I really liked the fact that I could rotate, move mm-hmm. to different jobs, just take jobs that are completely different from what I've done before. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and uh, I was really lucky to have companies and and systems that could allow that. And you know, since I've been at Forrester's, I've created a rotation program for um, you know, on people, you know, at my company too, because I think that's really valuable when you get into a company, you know, you don't know all the stuff you don't know, you know, and I mm-hmm. think the beauty of the rotation is a, you're picking up new skills, but also, you know, going back to the relationships thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you're moving around, that's, that's more people who get to see who you are, yeah. more people you get to work with. And that's really powerful. It's one thing when I run into somebody at a, 
cocktail party or reception and they have a pause you know we have a good chat and a positive outlook right but mm -hmm. it's another thing when i've actually worked with somebody or uh, seen the work of somebody else or, or they've seen my work right it's much mm -hmm. easier for them to kind of get behind me right or for me to get behind somebody so i think if you move around um so i think that's a you know i, I do encourage people early on to 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 kind of get get as much exposure as they can especially if they don't have a big network to begin with mm -hmm. because that's one of the big problems i think for um people who are new to the country you know um uh, now beyond your own job i mean things like what you're doing here david i mean it's so fantastic you know you're you yourself you know you're doing something outside your day job right mm -hmm. trying to build a network know people build new skills um uh, like this podcast is so you know you're telling me it's it's really great that you just kind of jumped into it and learning it and you know there's great skills right mm -hmm. i think that's another uh great thing to do um what i did on that kind of regard in my companies was i i did a lot with um actuarial development mm -hmm. and recruiting mm -hmm. and resource i've been you know i chaired the student committee at manulife for for about four years mm -hmm. and then i later on i was on the most senior committee mm -hmm. uh, the vp plus committee for almost 10 years and i chaired that for i think the last three mm -hmm. um you know really you know again it really got me lots of different experiences there were times in my career i was an avp and i had like two people reporting to me mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. now what does that mean? Well, I had another opportunity open up where I would have a team of 15 or 20. People might say, you've never managed a big team. How am I going to give you this big team, you know? Well, because of the actual resources committee, I used to do a lot in development of people all the time. Mm -hmm. I used to talk about it. I used to work on it. So I got skills that I didn't have and I could demonstrate, I could, I could people could have confidence. I could run a team. So later on, when I got a team of 15, I was comfortable walking into it. They were comfortable with me walking into it. Um, so I, I think, you know, build as many different skills as you can, get involved in, in different kinds of, whether it's in your job or outside your job, mm -hmm. uh, expand that network. The more people who can see, you know, what who you are, what you like, what you can do on the job, it's all good. I think, I, you know, that would be my main advice to anybody is uh, young who's trying to really, um, you know, succeed and um, succeed in a business. Also, you have to have a certain amount of risk-taking and ability, you know, mm -hmm. like when that opportunity comes up, I think, unfortunately, I think too many people, you know, can find lots of reasons not to do something. You know, one of the things I always say to myself is when I look at things and I just like, I'm like, you know, they, there's like a thousand reasons not to do something, you know, mm -hmm. like, you know, this is not the right time. You know, I, I don't have the right skills. If only I took that course, maybe I'll wait, you know, until, you know, another, you know, another time for something, you know. Mm -hmm. It always seems like a thousand reasons not something, right? And mm -hmm. I think sometimes you just have to say, yeah, there's a thousand reasons not to do something, but here's three reasons I really should do it, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I may not see this kind of again, you know, I've already been doing this thing for a while, um, and this could open doors, or, you know, this is, this is a person I really could learn a lot from. And sometimes you just, I don't know, I mean, I am in risk management as the chief risk officer for a company, and, you know, I, I, I often think, you know, you have to look at your risk, but you also have to look at the opportunity, you know what I mean? And you kind of sometimes just have to say to yourself, you know, I've, you got to have some confidence and, and sometimes just take a bit of a risk, you know, and say, and I think often you just can't predict where it's going to go, but it's probably going to open exciting doors that you just never imagine, right? So I, I do think that sometimes to myself. And again, like you say, you know, with my disabilities and everything else, like, like, 
people could always tell me tons of reasons not to do anything. You know, why, why leave home? You know, why mm -hmm. do this? You know, why not just go back? And, you know, there's, it always seems like an easier reason. But to me, often the, the reason I would do the things I do is just because I'm like, this just seems funner or more interesting or, you know, a better adventure, you know? Um, mm -hmm. Like, I made a lot of decisions, I would say, just based on that. But I, 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 I would like to ask you, would you say that at any point in your career, being having disability and being a visible minority has impacted your career negatively at any point? Has, has it made anyone um, not give you an opportunity or take a chance on you? Has it played negatively? Um, yeah, that's a really good question. And, and you know, what I would say is, you know, undoubtedly, undoubtedly, there were a lot of negative things at various points in time you know i'm also a vegetarian so i show up to places and say you know you know and things so I, like you say i don't like i don't like sports <laughs> like guys want to talk about hockey and I, I always change the channel you know and uh and things like that right and so you know i i am who i am and the, the thing is i guess i would say i've always felt comfortable with who i am so i don't really i don't focus on it like i just mm -hmm. don't think about it like i'm sure it did but i just it's almost like i don't like if somebody is kind of cold to me, I mean, it happens, right? Like happens all the time. Like I've lived my whole life. Like there's tons of stuff I can't do. You know, people are like, Hey, we're all going to go do this. And I'm like, okay, well have fun, you know, cause I can't do it, you know, and I'm just not going to be able to, you know, go along with it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's really a mindset, I guess. I just don't have, I just don't let it bother me. I just like, or somebody is kind of cold or not giving me an opportunity. Like, you know, like some, you know, I applied to jobs and mm. if they said to me, no, oh, I'm like, okay, well, I'll just apply to other jobs. And, <laughs> you know, and I, I focus on what I have and what I can like, you know what I mean? Just when I get an opportunity, I just want to drive that opportunity. I don't care so much about all the stuff I didn't have. Um, you know, um, in some ways I'm, you know, I, I love my wife sometimes, like I never uh, spend my, I never, you know, some people like, I wish I, you know, if that had happened or, I have regrets, you know, I only need done this or that. I never do that. Like I decided that when I was young, like when I was, uh, you know, go back to, I think it was right when I was in boarding school. I remember like, it was tough, right? Like I was in boarding school, being a British boarding school is hard enough. Being British boarding school, being, you know, like a guy who just, you know, Indian guy who came from Africa with disabilities, you know, you, you gotta have a right mindset. Right. And I was just like, I just decided back then, you know, I'm just going to not spend my time wishing or regretting or anything, right? Because you can't change anything. Like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't focus on stuff I can change. Like, um, I just try to drive on the stuff I can change. So I never spend my time thinking too hard about stuff that could have been or should have been or whatever, you know? Like, to me, what does that matter, right? Like, what, what I have is an opportunity and I want to just drive on that. This is the end of part one. We've actually got a lot more coming in part two. I love the fact that Gara was very authentic. And as you can tell, it was a great conversation with Gaurav. And I'm excited for part two, where Gaurav discussed extensively about how to overcome career failure, why immigrants matter, and much more. So stay tuned for part two coming in the next episode of the Fresh Start podcast. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Fresh Start. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please share with someone you know and love. Please go ahead and subscribe on any platform you listen to your podcast. And also please take a moment to leave us a review because that would help us to reach more audience. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at FreshStartUp. If you know any newcomer you think would be a good fit to interview for the podcast, we'd like to hear from you. Please go to www.thefreshstartup.com to nominate someone. We appreciate you and remember, no matter how hard the past is, you can always begin again. Take care and have a great week.